and a light uh, to our feet and our path, God. It directs us and instructs us, Lord. We learn more about you, God, and I pray that it would have free course in our hearts today and our minds, that it would uh, cause us to see you in a better way, Lord. Not just, not just, uh, not just necessarily uh, what you did, but your heart behind what you did. Heart that you have for people, Lord, the love you have displayed the patience you have, Lord. So I pray we'd see your heart today, God, uh, in, in you and people that serve you, Lord. I love John the Baptist. We get to take a peek at him today, Lord. Uh, pray that uh, we get a, a real good view of what it looks like to serve you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. It says this in, in Luke chapter 3. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, Herod being tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetriarch of Itura, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetriarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of of sins. So John here is preaching. Luke here is a historian. He's a doctor and he gives you the climate of the day, the time, actual accounts of who's ruling at that time. And you can look these people up and and number 1, it's it gives you the assurance that your bible is telling you the truth. Um it, it's um accurate accounts of these people, but, but also it's giving you the climate of the day, what John, how he's serving, what it looks like, right? We, we see that Pontius Pilate is ruling. Pontius Pilate will wash his hands of Jesus and order him to be crucified. Herod himself will cut off John's head eventually as he, as he uh, challenges Herod. Uh, they're wicked days. Annas and Caiaphas, there's usually just one high priest in that day. It's Caiaphas, but Annas is his father-in-law. He was the one full of corruption. He's the one that had the men in the temple selling uh, sheep and doves and oxen and all those things, sacrifices at an exorbitant rate. It was a cor- The priesthood was corrupt. The nation was corrupt. It was very difficult to serve in those days. And here comes John the Baptist on the scene as as someone who's preparing the way for Jesus, preparing the way for the king. It was tough to minister in his days. Eventually, you know, within 18 months here, John is going to be executed. Or within one year, John is going to get his head cut off. Those are tough times, right? You know, I thought about... uh, you know, we're living in tough days. I, we, I watched a movie the other day. Uh, there was, I couldn't remember. There was a couple swear words in it. I watched uh, Hotel Rwanda, true story of the Rwandan genocide there, the Hutus and the Tutsis. They battle. Ultimately, uh, the, the Hutus kill one million Tutsis in Rwanda. That is crazy in a, in a 100-day period with machetes and Imagine trying to be a Christian in those days, right? Uh, I thought about Idi Amin. We, went, we traveled to Uganda. Uh, the first time I went to Uganda, I think, was in, I can't remember, 2013. 
And one of the first stops we made was a Calvary Chapel in Entebbe. That's the capital. That's where the airport is. And uh, we went there and the Calvary Chapel, the pastor there, Craig Lindquist, told me all about, you know, this land. When they drove by it, it was a garbage dump. And then he says, and originally it was a killing field for Idi Amin, who said that God told him in the 70s that he was to cleanse the land and to kick Indians out. And, and the Chinese out, that, he, that God told him to do that. So he was kicking people out. And actually that spot where the church was built was a place that they actually would execute people and dump the bodies and leave them there. And uh, it turned into a dump eventually after his, uh, after his presidency. And the church bought it and it became a place of life. But imagine trying to be a, a, a Christian in those days. I mean, is president of Uganda. And and that's the country you're living in. Well, these are the days John is ministering in. They're radical. They're bad. John is going to be executed by one of these guys. Jesus will be crucified by several of these people, right? Pontius Pilate is the, the, has to do it. He's the one with the authority, but Caiaphas and Annas, they're behind it, pushing, pushing, pushing. They always sought a way to kill Jesus. And John the Baptist was a guy who hung in there, was faithful to the call God had on his life, right? Sometimes we think, what am I going to say to them at, at work? You know, I'm just going to be, be a witness at work and hopefully they'll just see uh, that I'm a Christian by how I behave or how I act. No, John was a voice. He's going to, we're going to see that. John actually used words, right? You do need to, you, your life should be a testimony, but you should use words. Right? Was somebody not going to like you? Probably. Probably some people may not like you because you're a Christian, because of what you tell them. But you tell them things, you know, that they need Jesus Christ, that they're a sinner. That can be offensive. John was offending people, but man, people loved to hear him. People went out to hear him. And it says in verse 2 that the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. We, we ended chapter 1. That's, it says that the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until this very day. Like he waited there. Why did he, why did he do that? Why? Because his mom and dad taught him, hey, you, you're special, John. God's got a call on your life. You're the one that Isaiah spoke of. You're the voice that's crying in the wilderness. But that's all you are, John, is you're just a voice. God uses voices. God uses your voice, my voice. He uses people. What you say, the truth you tell people, right? There's something, God anoints it by his spirit and it changes people's lives. It's the simple preaching of the gospel, Paul the apostle would say, that changes lives. Simply telling somebody they need Jesus Christ. You know what? You're a sinner. You're not going to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And that rings true in people's hearts and minds. But they have a decision to make. Are you going to believe it? Are you going to walk in it? Are you going to respond to it? That's John's call. We see that he calls people to repentance, not just to listen. We're going to, we're going to, that's what Herod was. He's a guy that just listened, 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 never responds, never, never responds to the gospel. If you turn back with me a couple pages in your Bible to chapter one, verse 15. I read this to the kids this week. We're going through Luke. Uh, in discipleship. And I read this to the students, verse 15 through 17. It says this, 
This is the angel speaking to Zacharias. It says, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink neither wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That'll be John's call. But what, what I told, asked the kids, you know, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. I asked the students, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had two different groups of kids, you know, I think eighth grade all the way to seniors. And I got a lot of different answers. Maybe we got some pastors. We got some NFL football players here that are coming out of the school. So keep those guys in prayer. Uh, but, but, uh, but Jude told me, my nephew, I said, what, what do you guys want to be? And Jude's like, I just want to be successful. I said, actually, that's a good answer, Jude. Because maybe you don't know what you want to be, but you want to be successful. But what's your measure of success? How do you measure that in your life? What, what, what for you is success? Because it's different. It might be different for you than you're, someone sitting next to you or someone sitting behind you. But what matters the most is what you're doing is success in the eyes of God. Are you pleasing the Lord? Because this is what the angel says. He's going to be great in God's sight. God's going to look at his life and be pleased and say, you know what? That's exactly what I called your life to be. Not only what I have for your life, but what the way I want you to be. Like, yeah, maybe you're an NFL player. What's your, are you different from other NFL? Are you being a testimony for the Lord in your, that's Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years, just raised in his father's house, just a carpenter. He was a guy that was a testimony that we'll see at the end of this chapter. We'll read it several times in the gospels before Jesus even started his ministry. There was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. I'm already pleased with him. And what he, he's just a great carpenter. He didn't cheat anybody. He didn't take advantage of people. He didn't, he, he was just, I'm pleased with his life. And that's, is God looking at your life? Is he pleased with what you're doing? Your behavior behind the scenes? Are you, are, not only are you what he's called you to be, like, you know, Owen Norton told me, I want to be a pastor. Like, that's great, Owen. Just keep praying. You know, great call. Maybe you'll be one right out of high school. What are you going to be between there? Because you want to please the Lord all the time. How, God, how can I please you? And that was John's life, just pleasing God. And, and it's interesting, and I can't remember if I, I made this correlation when we went through chapter 1, but the first thing it says he's going to do is he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's number one. Your number one task is, man, I want to turn hearts to the Lord. I want to tell people their need for Jesus Christ. That's, that's number one. You can make people nice and change, saying you shouldn't cheat, you shouldn't do that, you should be nice to your mom and dad, you should be. The first goal and, and this relationship between you and Jesus, then it changes every other one. Then the other relationships get worked on. And then it says this, and then he'll also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers 
back to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Like then this relationship is taken care of. But this relationship can't be taken care of between you and your mom and dad. Or you and your spouse. Until this one gets taken care of. The one between you and Jesus. Then the other ones, all the other fractured relationships get mended. Those get fixed. Or they can be fixed. So that was John's goal. And his mission. And where do we find him at the end of chapter 1? Right there waiting in the wilderness. Like he's there. Waiting to hear from the Lord. And it says that the, the, the word of the Lord came to him in the wilderness. That's a desert place. That's a hard place. I've heard, heard it said, and you've probably heard it said, you know, that, that, that Moses, uh, Paul, John the Baptist, they got their BD degree, the backside of the desert, right? You learn a lot when things are tough, when things are hard. You grow up quickly. You mature. Moses, you know, 40 years in Egypt, then 40 years just in the wilderness, in the desert, taking care of sheep. God taught him there. He learned humility, responsibility. He learned a lot. Paul the Apostle was in the Arabian desert for years, learning, growing, learning. You grow in harsh conditions sometimes. Kids in Africa are a little different than kids in America. Uh, Why? They have more responsibility. They're still kids. But you see these kids engaging in chores and, and respect, and right? They're still little sinners. They're not perfect. But in hard conditions, Africa is a little harder than America. You know, kids grow up quicker, naturally. But in harsh conditions as a believer, when it's tough, you grow. You grow when things are hard. And that's where John was. He was there, and it says that in in chapter 1, that he grew and he waxed strong in the wilderness, in the desert. Maybe you're in a desert right now. It's tough. You, You know, God is growing you. He's teaching you. He's teaching you to hang on. Trust him. He's working when you can't see it. When you don't know it. And he preached, it says in verse 3, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Baptism, you know, the people who get dunked, they understood something in John's day. That they're separated. John was teaching them, listen, you're separated from a holy God. Baptism isn't saving you. Baptism's not, that doesn't save you. But they understood that they were distant from a holy, and their sins are separated them. They can't come into connection with God until the number one thing is dealt with, that's sin. And John reiterated that point to these people. And then he dunks them. And it was unusual for people to get baptized, Jewish people to get baptized. That was not part of their custom. It was, it was when somebody who wasn't a Jew wanted to become Jewish and follow the God of the Bible, they would be baptized. It would be evident that that process would happen. So John's out in the wilderness in the middle of of really nowhere, this this desert place, the Jordan River's running through, and and John's just there baptizing people, tons of people coming out. It says all the regions, I think it's John's gospel, all the region came out from Jerusalem and, and all different areas to be baptized by John, and it freaked the religious people out. 
People aren't at temple today. People, what's going on? Who is this guy? We're going to see them come out and question John, who he is, and what's going on. So he's baptizing people. That was way different because people were used to sacrifices. People were used to bringing a lamb or a dove or different things. But John would say, as he's, as he's there baptizing and Jesus walks by, he points to, points to Jesus and says, listen, behold the Lamb of God. There's the one sacrifice. This is the one sacrifice that matters of all sacrifices. This is, he's the one that takes away the sins of the world. And, and so he's preaching repentance. You know, re- repentance is agreeing with someone else, agreeing with God. It's change of mind. It's to think differently. It's hard to change some people's minds, isn't it? Like if you like a certain restaurant, you ever get in a di- disagreement with your spouse? Like, you know, they like this restaurant. You like this restaurant. You like Tim Hortons. They like Dunkin' Donuts. Do you like, right? It's hard. Honey, come on. Let's just go to Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. It's, but it's hard to change people's mind. Maybe they'll go. I can convince Leah to go to Dunkin' with me, but... You know, does she like it as much as another place? No, right? And, and that's what is happening, though. It's changing people's minds. John's preaching is having an impact on the heart, and it's changing people's minds. It's, it's working inside of people. You've argued with people over something before, whether it could be something simple, sports, or, and you can't change somebody's mind. That's a very hard thing to do to convince somebody of something once it's locked in. And people, especially when you get older, we're like, you know, you you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, It's hard to change someone. It's the Spirit of God has to change somebody. The same way John was anointed for the calling and his heart was prepared is the same way people's hearts need to be prepared for the message. And God does that. That's a a work of the Spirit. You need to be praying for people. People that you're working with. People that you're in contact with. You should be praying for them. Because by yourself, you trying to study at home and figure out, all right, I got the perfect scripture. I got the perfect, you know, you got to listen to Ken Ham or you got to listen to this guy. They've got the perfect evidence that the Bible's true and science is true and, you know, whatever it is, it's got to be a work of the Spirit. Spirit of God has to move on a heart to change a mind that changes an attitude and a direction of life. Has to be that. So he's preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And Jesus is the Lamb. He's the one final sacrifice. The one that every other sacrifice pointed to. And then he quotes the Bible in chapter in verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, this is Isaiah 40, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So, a forerunner. That's what John was, a forerunner. He was somebody that sent to prepare the way 
of the Lord. He's sent out before a king. And they would do that. If a king was coming into your country, they would send a forerunner. Somebody that would go and they'd be filling all the potholes. They might change the direction of a road. They might, and they change everything to make this way smooth for the king to travel on. When we went to Russia in 2015, it was the 70, 70th anniversary of uh, World War II. And I probably shared this before, but there were several parades. Uh, Moscow, Vladimir, where we were. Tanks were going through, soldiers. It was, it was pretty amazing. But what Pasha told me is months leading up to this celebration and this parade that was in May, that they went through, especially Moscow. We went to Moscow, Red Square, all the different places. We went through the subways. We traveled train, subway. Um, we were on a boat. We traveled. Everything was beautiful. It was like, wow, what a beautiful city. And Pasha told me, he goes, it's not always beautiful. Like months beforehand, they sent people through to clean up the city. Like there's Moscow, you wouldn't think it, but there were tons of wild dogs like roaming the streets, running around. They came and took them and relocated them, euthanized them. They did what Russians do to wild dogs when they want to get rid of them. I don't know all the ins and outs, but they were, there wasn't any wild dogs in the city. We didn't see any. I don't remember seeing any, but Pasha was like, yeah, there's wild dogs all over. They run all over. If you're in Africa or go to other countries, you see wild dogs everywhere. It's normal. Um, and, there were, and homeless people, like we're in Russia. It, you know, if you include Moscow and the surrounding areas, the outskirts of Russia, it's almost 20 million people. It's huge, massive. And I don't remember seeing a homeless person. We just went to a Bills game, and on the way to the game, I saw several, right? Just driving in Buffalo, you know, this little tiny city compared to Moscow. We go to Moscow, there's nobody. Why? Because they cleaned up the city, and they made preparation. Well, that's what John's doing, making preparation for the gospel. He's preparing the way for the king to come. But you know what he said he, he, said he is? What Isaiah says he is? I'm a voice just a voice, right? God can use any voice. He, he can use any voice to prepare the way. And, and what does he do here? He shares Isaiah 40, shares the word of God. That's so important for any ministry, any church you go to, anywhere you go. That's why I liked Calvary Chapel so much. I went, the church I went to, I didn't learn anything. They didn't teach out of the Bible. They, you know, it was rules and regulations, stand up, sit down. When I first got saved, I was like, what in the world? We're reading out of the, I got to have a Bible to go to church? That's crazy. Where's my hymnal, right? Uh, and, but I, I had the Bible and we were reading through the Bible. I was like, it blew my mind. Oh man, these are cool songs. Worship, I, you know, I didn't love it at first, but it was a lot different than what I grew up with. Like, wow, these songs are kind of cool. And it was so simple, just worshiping the Lord and reading the word of God. And then you see the work of God in people's lives, in their, in their hearts. It was so simple. Way different than I grew up with. And that's all John's doing here, just simply teaching the word of God. Listen, let me explain something to you. John says, I'm just a voice. There's somebody coming after me. That's the important one. That's the one you want to keep your eye on. That was his point. 
He's just crying in the wilderness, preparing the way. And then verse 7 says this. He said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized of, of him, and this sounds harsh, <laughs> and it can, but if you read all four Gospels, this account is there. He's speaking to the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, uh, the, the Levites, the priests that came out. They were really critics of John's ministry. They came out to see who he is, spy on what he's saying, what he's doing, why he's doing it. So John gets pretty radical with him and pretty serious, uh, and, and that's who he's addressing, is his critics, these religious people. And he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized him uh, by him, you brood of vipers. Imagine if you came to church and your pastor called you that. You're a viper. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John and Jesus were the most harsh with the religious leaders. Called them hypocrites. The hypocrite is saying one thing and doing something else. It's to wear a mask. It's to pretend. And that's what he said they're doing. Not everyone thought they were hypocrites, but John called them out. Jesus called them out. You're a brood of vipers. You're hypocrites. Jesus would, would say that you're whitewashed sepulchers, right? A, tomb, a whitewashed tomb. Like the outside looks great. Man, we get the fresh paint out. We just painted our bedroom and made it look nice. If people could see all the, you know, the, the mud and spackle and everything behind it and the pot. But you can make it look nice with a little paint, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. You guys look great on the outside. Sometimes people do. Outside they look great, but if you could peer into their heart, what's inside, Jesus said, you're dead. It's dead man's bones. All you're doing is playing a game. He said, you're straining at a gnat and you swallow a camel. Those were unclean things. Those were, those were things in the law of Moses that were unclean. You shouldn't eat a gnat, a bug, or a camel. Right? They were unclean. And, and these priests, these Levites, scribes, and Pharisees, a bug would fly in their mouth and they would get all freaked out. Oh my gosh, we got it. And they spit it out. And it would be so everyone could see, man, look what I'm even, I'm so holy and amazing that I even spit out little bugs so I don't eat them. And then he says, but the problem is you swallow a camel. You're eating, you're doing these radically bad things. And it's so evident. And, and Jesus would call them out, and John would call them out. It's not good what you're doing, these religious. And you follow, go read the book of Acts, read the epistles. Always, Jesus uh, and, and Paul would warn of Judaizers, people who would try to bring in this other doctrine, try to bring people back under the law instead of grace and Christ's love and forgiveness. Because you can never keep the law. But he talks about fruit. Bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Fruit, you can't control the fruit you grow. It just happens by the tree you are. I've got trees at my house that grow all kinds of stuff. You know, cherries and, and apples and peaches. My peaches are a nightmare. 
if anyone has peach trees here, like it grows three peaches and four leaves and then they shrivel up and fall off and then they grow four more because they got peach leaf curl. The, why? Because it's disease. The roots are bad. Things are bad in that tree. And really it needs to be cut out and replanted. I have another tree called a Canadian red. It doesn't grow fruit. It grows beautiful flowers in, in May. And Leah takes all the kids' pictures uh, around this tree that she won't let me cut down. That I think is spreading diseases on all my other trees. Because it produces a few flowers that are nice. But it's sick. It's a diseased tree. And that's what the Bible says. Listen, the fruit of your life, what's coming out of it? What's the fruit of your life? Not who you pretend to be when you're at church or around certain people, but what's, is there love? Is there peace? Is there joy in operation? What's the fruit of your life? He says, that's what you need to know. You should be concerned with the fruit of your life. And what's going on there? Turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me just for a second. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. He's saying, I don't mind repeating myself. Beware of dogs, evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. That's the concision, your, your, your version might say. It literally means the circumcision. Those were Judaizers that were coming in trying to say, you know what, you need, to be, you need Jesus, that's good. You also need to keep the Sabbath, you need to be circumcised, you need this. You know, and they're trying to put people back under the law. And Paul's like, watch out for people like that, that, don't, that, that know the law, but they don't know the lawgiver. They don't know the heart behind the law. They don't know the Lord. Be careful of people like that. And then Paul would say this in verse 3, For we're the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in our flesh. Like we can never be good enough. We're not, you're not going to be nice enough. You're not going to keep all the laws well enough. And then he gives his credentials here. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If you want to talk about somebody who could have confidence He's like, I'm uh, an NFL star here in, in terms of a Judaizer. I would be in the Hall of Fame. He says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, this is how zealous I was. I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness that was, in the, that was in the law, blameless. I kept it all. But what things were gained to me, he says, I've counted loss for Christ. You can't hold on to, like, either you're good enough or you're not good enough and you need Christ. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And then he says this, and I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. He says, listen, and rubbish, you're, you're, if you have a King James, it says dung. I hope everyone knows what dung is. Uh, that's what Paul said. All my credentials, everything that I was outside of Christ, and I was pretty amazing, and people thought I was. He says, it's all dung to me. It's garbage. It's rubbish. He says, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, verse 9, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then he says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Paul says, I want to know him. I don't want to know the law. I don't want to keep the law. I want to know the lawgiver, the author of the Bible. I want to know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the goal. I need a savior, not just to know the Bible. You do need to know the Bible. We have the Bible. You should learn it. You get to know who Jesus is, but you want to know the heart behind it. John gets kind of radical here with those guys. And then he says, listen, don't say because you're Abraham's seed. We have Abraham as our father. For God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, right? That was a lie that they were walking around. They were going to church, you know, temple, thinking, no, no, we're fine. We're Abraham's seed. Well, it wasn't true. Just because they were Abraham's seed didn't, didn't mean they had faith. And the same way some people come to church or uh, maybe their parents taught them they should go to church or shouldn't go to church or that you're a pastor's kid. There's a lot of lies out there that people believe and think, I'm okay. I'm okay because of whatever it is. I'm okay because my dad's a pastor. I'm okay because my parents go to church. Or I'm okay because my parents don't go to church and they don't believe this stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as them. They don't need God. They don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. But it's not true. Just because mom and dad believe it, just because you've heard it, it's not true. You're going to stand before the Lord someday. And then verse 10 says this. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? So there were some people that responded, all right, what do we do then? What should we do? How, do we, how, how should we act? Some people wanted to hear John. And those are the people, you know, some people wanted to hear Jesus too. It wasn't the religious leaders that wanted to hear Jesus. Those are the people that wanted to kill Jesus. The people that were comfortable with Jesus were the sinners. Were people, the, it said the common people heard him gladly. Sinners were comfortable. They ate with Jesus. Jesus ate with them. He sat with them. They would wash his feet. He went to Zacchaeus' house and people criticized him. I look at all these sinners. Who are these people? He's eating with publicans and tax collectors and sinners, notorious people that do wrong things. We know these people. They're the people on the, you know, in the police blotter. Who are these people? Jesus is sitting with them but they heard him gladly. And these are the people that responded to John's message. People that knew, I'll never be good enough. I didn't grow up in the right family. I didn't grow up with a dad, or I didn't grow up with a, uh, I, my family was broken, or this was going on. 
I messed up. I messed up. I, I, I didn't have a great opportunity in my life. And they heard the gospel. So they said, verse 11, they said, what do we do? And he answered and said to them, hey, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Hey, try to be generous. Look at other people's needs. Don't just look at what you need. And then the tax collectors came to be baptized and said, teacher, what should we do now? You know, tax collectors, they were hated by the Jews. And John didn't say, you know what, quit your job. It's a bad job. People won't like you if you're a tax collector. Got a bad reputation, right? He doesn't say that. He says, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Like, be honest. You can be a testimony right there as a tax collector by being honest. They had a reputation of not being honest. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, what do we do? And he said to them, don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Right? These guys were blind to who they were or, or you know, how they were acting. Like, all right, it's okay. Everyone else is, you know... Charging too much for taxes, so what's the difference if we do? And John's like, no, change who you are. Stop doing that. Here's here's some things you can do. All right. And as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their heart about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and said, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barns, and the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many exhortations he preached, many other exhortations he preached to the people. He says, man, there's someone greater than me coming. It's Jesus. He's going to baptize. I'm just dunking you in water. This is a, the, the you know, Jordan River or the Genesee River. Listen, there's somebody greater. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to change your life. And then he says that, you know, his winnowing fan is, is in his hand. He's going to separate wheat from chaff. You'll know what to do. And God does that in, in your life, doesn't he? he? He begins to separate what's good and what's bad. For me, right away, I got saved. It was like my language changed. I, I no longer spoke French, uh, but I, 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 like things grieved me. I couldn't talk like that anymore, which I normally did. And it was like, I just can't. I just, couldn't, I just could not swear like I did before. That was some of the chaff God burns off of life. He, he heats things up in your life and he changes you. And what's valuable, the wheat, it stays. And it says, it says this, verse 19, Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So Herod takes his brother's wife and marries her. Some people say that she was actually related to those guys too. And for the evils which Herod had done, and also added this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So Herod 
His name is, it's not Herod the Great, it's Herod Antipas. It's Herod the Great's son. Herod the Great was the guy that had, uh, when Jesus was born, he had all the kids in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, killed all the male child children. Uh, this is his son. And he shuts up John in prison. But you know what it says about Herod? In, in Mark's gospel, it says that he heard him gladly. And when he was tricked by Herodias' daughter, she danced before him, some probably provocative dance. And he said, listen, <laughs> thank you. Whatever you ask of me, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. He, she says, you know what? All I want is the head of John the Baptist. And it says that Herod was grieved that that's what she wanted. He didn't want to kill John. It says, he, you know, he would basically go, he heard John, and then he would go and hear him in the dungeon or whatever. Like, John, yeah, tell me that stuff again. What, what did I do wrong again? Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. But you know what the problem with Herod is? He heard the word. He heard John gladly. He never responded to the message. Never made a change. Never committed it to himself. And Herod went down separated from God for all eternity because he came to church every week or whatever he did, but never responded to the message. Never, There was no change in him. And people do that all the time. They come to church, come to church, and they like what they hear. They agree with it, but they never respond to it. That was who Herod was. Yeah, I, that sounds right. I agree with that. That's true. It's not just not for me or not right now. And then ultimately, he has to kill John. And it made him sad, but you know what? You got to do what you got to do. Really, he had to choose between sin and Jesus Christ. And that's the bottom line for everyone. What are you going to choose? And it says this, when all were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. While he, and while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus himself, verse 23, began his ministry at about 30 years of age. And then it goes through the whole genealogy and goes all the way back to Adam. And we'll take a look uh, next week at Jesus' baptism and uh, his temptation afterwards. We'll just pray, Lord, uh, we're thankful for your word, God. We want to be people who bear fruit for your kingdom. We pray that your word and your spirit would burn off the chaff in our life, Lord. We want to know your word, but we also want to know the author of it. We want to get closer to you, Lord. We trust you. We want to hear from you. Thankful, thankful so much for your work in our lives, Lord. It's our desire to bear fruit for your kingdom, for your glory. I pray if someone here hasn't really responded to the message, to your truth, may like hearing the word or be comfortable at church, I pray that there would be a response in the heart, Lord. That you would touch lives here today. Thank you for, for uh, the preparation in the hearts of people to hear your word and respond to it, Lord. It's your work. And uh, we're, we're just asking for that this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen.